Crow talk. Crow talk. Crow talk. Just, just like, like the men. men. For those of you just tuning in, just a quick little recap. We're filmmakers. We made our first feature film. An adaptation of a 100-year-old screenplay written by Elle Higginson at the turn of the 20th century, wherein she tells a tall tale of helping her friend run for political office in Washington state. P.S. It's all true. We decided to chop it all up and put it on TikTok because why not? And we're talking to women in the film industry that know more than we do about the experience. Hook, line, and sinker. Episode 9, Cara Baker. And down underneath is the loveliest nook where the four-leaf clovers grow. Welcome back. We're happy to have you here. On NPR. Tiny desk concert. Dum, 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 dum. Just kidding. This is Cassidy. And it's still Stacy. Today, for our Just Like the Men podcast, we had the pleasure to interview our friend Kara Baker. Kara is from the New York City area and is a film producer at GG Films. Kara has produced and executive produced a number of amazing films that have made it into big festivals and have been picked up by amazing production companies. Kara's best known for The Art of Getting By, Zola, and American Murderer. We uh, met Kara through Instagram, right, Cass? Yes, we did. She's a street photographer as well uh, in the New York area, and that's how we connected with her um, and started forging a friendship with her because of our photojournalism project that ran for five years called Women Among Us. You can look on our website, TalkingToCrows.com, to learn more about that project. I think Kara just connected with what we are doing and have been trying to do. And um, she's sort of been along this journey. She's she's sort of been a cheerleader for us. And a mentor. As we pursue film. And she really believes in us. Um, and I believe in us, too. But it's really nice to have someone like Kara, who is so vested in the film industry see what we're doing, and say, yeah, keep going. And we're fangirls of her. We're fangirls of all these women. So thank you, Kara, for taking the time to chat with us, for being our Instagram friend. We appreciate you so much. Can't wait to see your face in person one day. So let's get into the interview, shall we? Okay. Let's just get into it. We'll just, like, yeah. work our way in. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, our first topic we want to cover with you <laughs> And Stacy phrased this, and I love it. I'm obsessed with it. You're our Wonder Woman of the film industry. Cara. Yeah, that was so nice. Thank you. It's, it's true. true. Yeah, it is true. <laughs> totally. I mean, only because I had the like gumption to call you up and be like, "You should re-edit your film, and you should put it out as a serial and episodic." You know, like you know. I mean, and just like who you are, though, just like you yeah. as a human being. Oh. I don't know. We're just like big fans on yeah. that. Total <laughs> Diana. Thanks, Yeah, thank you for staying connected with us. We just appreciate this relationship. I'm very, very, uh, I mean, really, it's completely mutual. Like, I'm so impressed by everything that you, like, what I love about you guys and what I really wish was more of a topic for people is that you don't have to move to New York or Los Angeles to have an interesting career in creating stories. And especially now, I mean, there's so many other out, I mean, you know, podcasts are so huge and 
uh, social media and YouTube, you know, so now there really is an out, an outlet, an outlet for so many different types of, you know, ways to, to be creative and be artistic. Um, and I just wish that that was sort of revered more. I really That's wish true. it was. Yeah. It's validating to hear and I hope it's validating for other people out there listening because you can just like start right now where you are. Yeah. You know, you don't know where that will take you and what that does mean if you eventually move, but yeah, you don't have to, it's not a, the space that you're in. It's the space that you make. Yeah. yeah. And it's refreshing to see like those different spaces, you know, like right. as I a mean, viewer. A lot of talk about TikTok and, and you know, we'll see what happens there. But I was on a clubhouse the other day with this micro filmmaker and he was waxing poet. He was like whining about this and whining about that. And I was like, you know, I think you just have to flip your script a little bit. And he's like, why? And I'm like, you keep acting, acting like you're losing out because you're a micro budget filmmaker. Like, as far as I'm concerned, you have all the control in the world. Like, and if you don't want to make the money, the movie for that money, then don't like save that. If you if you can make three micro budget movies, then just make one low budget movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that goes to my thing that I know we've talked about is that I'm concerned that a lot of people are so obsessed with being on set and the filming aspect of it that they don't understand the bigger picture of, you know, really honing your script and making a script, writing a script that, you know, people want to watch. I mean, I know that sounds kind of silly to say, but all of the projects we get sent tons and tons of scripts and I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this. You know, like what is just because someone's personal story is personal to them does not mean people want to watch it. Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, think about that. Like we're still making, it's still film, you know, and you can have access to everyone in the world and, and, you know, you can tell your unique story, but make sure that it's something that people want to like, that that is unique somehow not a version of what we've already seen this coming of age, you know coming of age you know breakups you know death all of this stuff all these big things but still so many of the scripts are so similar and cliche it's so hard it's true yeah and I find again like the most intriguing stories to me are those like micro successes or you know like just like offhanded small story arc. That I mean, it makes me awesome. think a lot about Mumblecore because like now Mumblecore is not a thing, you know, but like mm-hmm. that was micro budget filmmaking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now micro budget filmmaking, they're trying to make like regular independent movies as micro budgets. And it's just like, I mean, sure you can do it if you're technically savvy, but usually if you're technically savvy and now I'm going to make a gross generalization, if you're <laughs> technically savvy, you're probably not so savvy as to how the story, you know, how the script is or what the performances are, you know, like I find that technically savvy people are not necessarily the most emotional people when it comes to their scripts or directing actors or, um, you know, editing, you know, so, you know, if that's why film is collaborative, you know, my obsession with the collaborative nature of film. Totally. Which you don't hear also in club. I'm a writer, director, producer, actor. I'm like, how, how, 
How are you all of those things? It's and ego. How are you doing one of them well. You're not even doing any of them. You're barely doing, you, you might have done one of those on five different projects, but you're not doing any of them well. Mm-hmm. Focus. Yeah. People need to focus. <laughs> yeah. And play to their strengths. And I think too, with like micro budget indie, that can be kind of tricky because you don't have the budget to have more people to have all the, you know, so you have to wear. I mean, for all intents and purposes, your film was a micro budget film. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's also how we're credited in it. We're like, I mean, acting, not so much. We were just like side actors, but everything else, you know, it's like. But again, your film is a really good example of that. Like, first of all, the amazing backstory of the story you know, the real story, how you found the story, the hit, you know, the history of women vote. I mean, there's so many layers Mm -hmm. to your story before you even get to the story Um, and the script that was written. Like, I mean, it's just, you know, there's so many interesting things, compelling things, things that people can hook onto with your film that, and then of course, you know, what's going on in the zeitgeist with voting and women getting into politics like they never have before. And now with these crazy um, sort of extremist women politicians, you know, um, it's kind of, you know, which is, I, I mean, they're, they're, they're obviously, you know, very difficult for me to watch, um, but they're also, you know, like they're, it's, they had a hard time getting in even with their extremist views as women, you know, they just did. Very true, yeah. They just did. Um, anyway, I mean, and I, I mean, that kind of leads into another topic we have, which is film in the patriarchy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's hard. That's interesting for me and hard for me because I came up in a different time in a different way. You know, this was something again, through the conversations that I'm hearing on Clubhouse, when I came up in the film industry, you could, you, no one was like, I'm going to make a film. Everyone's like, I'm going to work on a film. Everyone like was like, I'm going to get a PA job. I mean, Kevin Smith was the first person who was like, I just made my film. You know, like that didn't happen. Like, like that's the thing. All these people on Clubhouse are filmmakers. And I'm like, I, the other day I was on a Clubhouse and I was just Googling everyone that I was like Googling their name. I'm like, no IMDb, no IMDb, no IMDb. Like if you're a filmmaker, you should have an IMDb at some point, right? Because you've actually made a film um, or or you've had film in film festival. You know, I, there was nothing. They would there. I don't know what, where their content is going. Um, and I call it content because if if it's not available to be tracked, you know, how is it a film? Um, oh, sorry, hold on one sec. So I grew up at a, in a time in the industry where you still had to work your way up. You know, yeah. it was just starting that you could go to Harvard and write for the Lampoon and move to LA and get a TV writing job. Like Conan O'Brien, like that, you know, like it was the, it's the early nineties. Um, there was a whole group of people from like Harvard and Brown and UNC and I'm sure other schools, but those were just schools that I seem to know people from. And they all went out to LA and they got like, they did like behind the scenes video, you know, they made behind the scenes things and they, um, uh, and they got jobs in agencies and then they, they all of a sudden were like in writer's rooms. Like it really, you know, and then it was, it was definitely like an old boy network. Like I went to Harvard, you went to Harvard, I can get you into this writing room. And mm-hmm. at Harvard, they were all writing for the lampoon. So it was just like, you know, it's like that boarding school, Ivy league school trajectory that they've all grown up with their parents had it too. So 
that really does exist and it did exist and it still exists. I'm sure I've just removed myself from it. Um, I think you guys know that I have a single mom and um, she was very successful in the industry, mostly because of men, like men really helped her, you know, like I've been talking, we've been going through a lot of her stuff and she's been talking about a lot of men who really gave her opportunities and mm -hmm. same with Paula Weinstein and Lucy Fisher and Amy Robinson and Denise DeNovi and all the women that I was lucky enough to work with. These are all women who, you know, it was just a different time. You, you, I mean, Amy Pascal, um, Sherry Lansing, you know, all of these women, the, the discussion wasn't about a patriarchy. It was about like coworkers and whatever their issues were. And I don't know to speak to it because it didn't none of that happened to me. You know, they all worked hard and they were all good at their job and they got a promotion. I mean, maybe they didn't get as big a promotion as they should, but you know, Sher uh, Sherry and Amy Pascal and Paula and Lucy, they've all run studios or they've all had really big, they've had deals with studios. They've all had the best that you can get at a movie studio, you know? Mm -hmm. They've had big production deals at movie studios. So, you know, so it, it's not like it's like, has been completely impossible for women. Women have been doing it for generations. It's mm -hmm. just now, um, and, and, and the one thing I will say is all of those women are white. I mean, it is definitely a different ball game for women of color. There's no doubt about it. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. That's still a huge problem in Hollywood. I mean, right now we're trying to find a, a, an editor for Joe Latrulio's movie Outpost. We're actively looking for a woman or a person of color. And, uh, I was speaking to an agent friend yesterday and she's like, yeah, everyone is doing the same thing. And she's like, we only, only had three women clients anyway. And, you know, like, she's like, you know, and I, and that, and I get upset about that. And here's sort of my patriarchy thing. It's like, I really blame film schools. Like I really blame, like, I feel like if you're going to spend, why well, I, I wish, and I think we've talked about this. I really feel like film schools should be, um, like uh, like um, uh, apprentice schools, you know? Yeah, and affordable. Women should learn how to be a grip and a gaffer and lighting a suit and be a cinematographer and be an editor and be a script supervisor. Because here's the thing, if you went to film school and you knew you'd get out because you had a job like that and you could get work on a set, you could also take a script writing you know, course while you're at film school and you can be writing your script while you're working in the industry, making connections, mm -hmm. totally. you know, and, mm -hmm. and I just feel like those schools are like, you're either a writer or a director or an actor or a producer. And you know what? You don't need, I mean, writing. Yes. Writing. Yes. And sure. Directing. Yes. But like, if you're, I've never went to film school. I had no formal training for anything in the film business. Not one thing. I literally learned it all on the job from watching and listening and asking questions. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and you hear that from professors. I went to school for sound design. Um, and so I had a professor that did more work with like Rolling Stones was a band he worked with a lot, but he would always talk about the stigma that art school kids would have going into the workplace because at that point in time, it was still like the roadies were still like dudes that just followed the band and, you know, worked their way up and, through the industry and where, are where they are now because of, you know, like. I know, but it's, it's a, first of all, 
all of these jobs are union jobs. It's a really, you know, you're making a good living. You can have, you can have your kids. You can like, it's, it really, really, really needs to sort of, I wish there could be a shift. I, and I do blame the film schools. I mean, the film schools should not be like, you can come here and like make a film and be a, a, a writer and director. No, we're gonna teach you a craft. We're gonna teach you a skill. Well, you can take screenwriting and you can learn how to do that. But like, we're gonna get you out of here with a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I mean, I know that's sort of like this really sort of, you know, socialistic opinion of it, but I worked really hard. I worked my way up in the film business and I did every job on the set, but don't think for one second that I am not 100% clear about the fact that I had a parent who could pick up the phone and get me a job. Totally. You know, yeah, I mean, you had that in to, to at least in. to a certain level of, of yeah. industry, you know, because there are ends in like commercial level, I guess. Of I mean, when I got in, I did. I felt like I had to work harder because I was a political hire. Mm-hmm. And and once people got to know me, I got hired on my own. But, you know, a lot of times I got an interview because I could have Bodhi call someone to call someone, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel guilty about that because that happens in every industry. Totally. <laughs> it does. And someone like you getting to these higher levels and more of an executive position means that people, there are people with a different perspective at that executive yeah. level making decisions. And so, you know, the the rhetoric around the patriarchy and, you know, down with the patriarchy can become an echo chamber. And I am sensitive to that too, because there are plenty of men who are doing great work, real feminist work, but they don't have, they just cannot inherently have that perspective that you and that us three have just being women in the world. And we don't have the perspective of a woman of color, person of color and what it's like for them. So it's just, it's really refreshing for us to have this conversation with you because you are someone who has this perspective and is able to have this conversation and you're at a, a different level than we are. And that that's happening everywhere. Like these women are, are and people of color are coming up and are able to articulate, here's the issue. You know, to even hold that the fact that it's not every man. No, it's not. No, and to, to, to I also wish to there, and that men are still there, like supporting women and lifting them All up. The time. Like that's everywhere. our film too. That's like, feminism, everywhere. right? Yeah. That's like it, that like is that. true feminism. But I, I wish that, and I know that this is again easier said than done. Like I wish that we also taught young girls confidence. You know, I mean, I had a single working mom, so I was like by myself a lot. My brother was away. I mean, I literally was by myself, so I just had to do stuff. And 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 I mean, I have a big personality, but I also, uh, uh, and I also since I grew up in the industry, I wasn't, I wasn't in awe of anybody that I met. You know what I mean? Like I had been around so many famous people growing up that I wasn't like, oh my God, I can't talk to them, you know? So that really gave me a leg up that I could sort of like, I had a confidence to ask for things. I think I, I don't know if I've ever told you guys, I was working on this movie. I was working for Donald Petrie. He is the director. And it was this movie called The Associate. And it was just a silly movie. It was with um, Whoopi Goldberg and she changes into a white man to get the break through the glass ceiling. I actually need to watch it again. 
Um, it was my third movie that I had done with Whoopi and I, she's fantastic. Like she's just, she's, again, she comes from a different era, but she was always ahead of the curve, always. And we were, I was started pretty early on that movie and I asked Donald if I could, we were still um, casting roles and I asked Donald if I could sit down on the casting sessions. And he said, yeah, of course. And um, I remember going into the casting room and the two producers were in there and the casting director and the casting director's assistant and Donald and me and the producers with me sitting right there, like, why is she here? And Donald was like, because she asked. It was literally a 50-50. He could have said no. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I said, how else am I going to, I don't know what it's like. I don't know what, how an actor feels going into a room in front of a director and producers and a casting director. How am I going to learn that? Mm -hmm. Can I sit in? I mean, I'm not going to speak. I mean, I'm literally going to sit in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like seeing how that works and seeing how hard that is for actors to have to do that was really like, it, it, it's a really eye-opening experience, you know? I mean, and that's such an important point Kara, is to just ask I remember yeah, because it's a 50 50 it's yeah. yes or no you yeah create the opportunity with the question yeah invite yeah. in the experience our friend Juna who's also from New York I remember told us during it was still in pre-production when we were learning how to ask for things that we needed because that's like all of pre-production essentially on a film and she was like stopping such girls about it because we were like so apologetic we're like oh are they gonna be like upset we were asking yeah. oh, and she was like shut the fuck up <laughs> stop being little girls about it best advice <laughs> yeah and it is like it seems like obvious advice but it's something that like I feel like we all need reminded of from time to time and it's just such solid well other things too like when I was an agent um my mentor at the agency, Scott Yaslow, would always say to me, ask them to help you. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did it too. Mm -hmm. You know, I need your help. And that feels good. It feels good when someone comes up to you and asks for help because, first of all, it affects your ego. <laughs> like, wow, this person needs me. And right. I think that's something that we've, that took me a while to internalize when asking for help is it's stoking someone's ego in some way or it's something you can think about if it's you're a like very good negotiation like. tactic mm -hmm. yeah you no know? totally. you know what you're the only person who can help me get yeah. this <laughs> i need you and, and so not in a female way i mean scott does it too you know that's why it was yeah. so powerful because he was like here's what i do i'm i say to them i need can, you know can you help me like mm -hmm. I'm in this bind, I'm in this situation. I need you to help me. You know, what do you think? And hearing, I guess I didn't ever think about it, but I guess hearing that from a man sort of made it like, okay for me to do it, you know? And mm -hmm. I just thought it was a great tactic. I mean, the other thing is, and you do this a lot when you're an agent and a producer, um, you know, I apologize all the time when I don't actually personally really mean it. Like if the situation needs an apology sure. in the role that I'm in, I'm happy to apologize. Right. You know, like if I, I understand if we've done something wrong and they need to hear an apology, I am more than happy to apologize. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, and a lot, you do that a lot when you're an agent, because a lot of times your clients hide behind, I mean, you build, you know, the agent client relationship as a whole other ball of wax, but you know, clients say they want to do something and then they can't do something. And the agent, you know, like, and ultimately the, a lot of times the agents are apologizing. And I was just like, 
I don't even, I have no feeling about this. Like, I'm really, really sorry, but our client isn't available. I wasn't really, really sorry. But why did I say I was really, really sorry? Well, I said it because people do need to hear that like you've inconvenienced them, you know, and you've put them in a bad position. Like they were relying on you. But the sorry thing is also an English thing. Like I say, I'm sorry, but like it doesn't, it's more like pardon me as opposed to actually an apology. I'm not sorry. I'm just saying, excuse me. And so well, it's like a respect, it's a respect thing, you yeah. know, and it's just yeah. meeting with respect is so important because that trickles down all the way on set, you know, that like affects everything, I think, mm-hmm. in a production, even from pre-production. Yeah, you know, it's relationships are important. It's mm-hmm. acknowledgement of what's going yeah. on without like personally taking it on as your own. Right, exactly. Yeah. If a grassroots filmmaker had five minutes with you, what would you tell them? What's something you wished you would have told them when someone had told you when you're starting out. I don't know about the second half because I've never actually made a film, but I have, as a producer who've worked with tons of first time and second time filmmakers, I love this question because now after 12 years, I actually have an answer for it. Every single filmmaker who's written and worked on their script for a really, really long time, they've lived with that script for so much longer, even before a producer comes on, they just have. And then when a producer like myself and Gia get involved and we want to fix it and edit it and change it, it's very, very, very hard for them. And they say the same thing over and over again. I mean, even Joe Latrulio said it to me and I just said, yep, I've heard that before. I see it in my head. I see it in my head and they just don't know. They Because if you haven't made a movie before, you just don't understand how it's going to change from the script to filming to editing. And every single one of them have been overwhelmed with the editing, editing process. They're very, very, very surprised how much things change in editing. Even if you went to film school and you edited your film, your first feature film every single time. And every single time I've said to directors on set, please do that take differently and give yourself a, a, a different you know, uh, take for editing. Just give yourself a choice. No, this is definitely the way I want this scene to play. I know I get it. Listen, oh I get it. Get it. But like, maybe if you had him just like laugh a little bit or, you know, like just be stressed or, you know, like whatever, just, just, just do one take, you know, just so you have one, like not such a dramatic, like response or lesser, you know, whatever, just do something that's a little bit different. And some of, some of the times they will. And some of the times they're just not a good enough director to explain to the actor how to do that. It's not that the actors can't do it, you know, it's right. an want to do that. That's, you know, the beauty of acting. And then because you get in the editing room and it's like, it's like you're writing, the, you're writing the story again. It's a right. whole new story. Yeah. And really when you well. see it in your head like that too, you have to be careful of like gaps in the story. You know, like you see those once you get to the editing room. That's right. when all the holes That's are right. like very, very apparent. And you don't see that when you've been writing it and it's been in your head. Because it's, it's in I your mean, head, yeah. When you say, when they say, I see it in my head, I wanna, I'm like, I know, I get yeah. it. And then meanwhile, I'm like, ah! You know? Totally, and this totally harkens back to our conversation earlier about collaboration. You know, if it's yep. in your head, you are alienating yourself from what your film needs most, which is everyone else, you know, like I totally get like honoring and standing by your creative choices. And it's not about like giving relinquishing every single idea that you've ever had or judging 
your ideas. No. But it, it truly is filmmaking is a collaboration and and it's it's healthier that way. It it has to be that way and it is also healthier it, and you get a better film. The one thing that Gia and I do on every movie is we because we work again with first time filmmakers and we make low budget movies and we don't have a lot of money, you know, we hire the editor that, that we can afford, but we always pad our budget so we can bring in an experienced editor to work with the director and the editor. Because again, you've heard, you've, you already know the producers and you already voices and you know your assistant's voices and the assistant editor and you know that, you know, you know those people around you have been giving you, but if you bring in another editor and they sort of communicate in their wonderful editory way, you know, I, we've just seen a lot of our filmmakers really enjoy that experience and the film definitely feels fresh again. With, with, you know, and because that person is an editor and they're, so they're, you know, um, an expert um, and they're not, and we do it with the editor of the film and the filmmaker. So it's not anything disrespectful to anyone. It's just like, let's have this person. And like us- fresh experienced perspective. Cause you need yeah. that. Like, I mean, we use, honestly- the same person. we use the same editor to come in and be our expert. Um, but fresh eyes on the project fresh is what eyes. I mean. Yeah. yeah, just fresh eyes. Cause I feel like, and I mean, with Stacey and I, you know, we've adapted, filmed, edited the whole <laughs> kit and caboodle. Um, but at a point it's like, you'll never stop giving yourself notes in the editing room. And so, you know, like if you're too involved with it, it's like, you'll never stop editing the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, well, Martin so, Scorsese, I mean, that's the whole thing. Remember with this, with Thelma Shoemaker and the, and the, steam back that he used to have in his basement and like literally like cutting like one one like frame and you know like and it's just like really dude like uh, to me there's so many other things you should be working on in your stories than like and and it sounds like such a nice breath of fresh air like when you're in that position to be like okay yes please you know what you're doing like take a whack at it go I mean I never hear about this because I'm not in this world but I'm curious like do novelists really complain when the when the publishing house is like this is going to be the editor of your book and that person goes through their book that they've written written and they like x out things and change words and re like do novelists really care no because that's they understand that that's part of the process of making the book right Mm -hmm. so why does a filmmaker care that like a producers or the editors can can give them smart good notes there it's all in everyone's interest for the film to be good not just you and it's like an exercise I feel like you have to go through over and over again sort of to like be like "Mm, thanks for sharing that idea no the the development executives at studios and age like we had a situation on our second film where our sales agent on, she didn't call any producer. She called the director directly and she told him what he, she thought of the film. And, you know, it was a rough cut. And, you know, we, he called us and he was like, it was really harsh and it was really rude. And, you know, we called him and we're like, it might've, we just wish you might've called us and talked to us first. And we could have found a way to present it to him because obviously, you know, you sell these, like, I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to like, you know, the outward line was we wanted, we do respect her. She's a very good sales agent, but like I, my attitude was like, who are you to pick up the phone and call the director and say that without discussing it with the producers first, like, like, why would you do that? Like, we want everyone to feel like they have a voice here, but 
he's a first time filmmaker. He's too precious. He's too, like, it's too hard for him. Yeah. And it is hard and it takes, you have to like grow kind of a thick skin and get used to people not like telling you no, but being like, hey, nice try on this idea. It's not going to work here. When everyone gives you their advice that you don't like, I mean, this I, this is what I do. Oh, very, oh, that what a great point. Thank you so much. All I'm doing is telling them, thank you for spending the time for reading my script. I do really appreciate you. Thank you for giving me your thoughts and comments. I do really appreciate that. What I'm really only listening for is any consistencies between the five people who read the script. Mm-hmm. What your things are, and why I'm telling you thank you and what a good point. I, I, it's literally in one ear and out the other. Like, I, I, you know, unless I'm hearing the same thing over and over and over again, I, I you know, I just, what I don't care. <laughs> well, I think when it's so hard, I think in any artistic medium, if the artist's identity is potentially at stake, you know, like they've written this and it is them or they've... Yeah, but these so films, close are not, it's not like it's can. Noah Baumbach who's making like basically his life. You know, he's like the new Woody Allen, right? He's like living out his life on the, on the screen. But all the films we've made, I mean, yes, I think everyone, I think you're right. When they write and direct it, there's, the, there's some part of themselves that they've definitely written into those characters for sure. But that's not a good enough, like that, that, that you're still, a, you're in a collaborative, you know, like. Totally. It's not and that's, that's, idea. I think where people can get hung up is in their yeah. ego when they're like, I'm putting this out and this, this represents me in every single way, or I'm connected to it in a way that makes me too vulnerable. And I'm not able to, to separate myself from the art. You know, I think that's where it I gets do. tricky. Well, know? we've talked about this, my, my hatred for the, a film by credit. You know, yeah. like, so, you know, a lot of the people, I mean, all of the filmmakers, except for Janixa and Maya, uh, because we just put our foot down, we're all white men. It's like, why are we, why, again, why doesn't Hollywood it really encourage everyone to be like, this film, you might have written it and you might have directed it, but we are all had a lot to say about how this film is good. And so Hollywood has got to, I mean, it, you know, it comes with awards, which means- Yeah, it's the awards delic- season shit, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. is like giving all of that fuel. I'm not saying that this woman who's directed No Man Land is not a genius. I mean, I think she is a real visionary. You know, I really, really do. But a lot of people helped her get there. But she doesn't, I don't know if she takes a film by credit. I mean, Zola definitely has a film by credit. It's Janix's second film. It's like, I mean, I begged Maya not to take a film by credit on She Paradise. I was like, you really made that movie for no money. And all of those people work for free for you. And you want to go up there and you want to say a film by? It's not by you. It's about every single person who helped you. Oh, I was going to say, if you saw American Honey. Do you remember that movie with... Uh... You know, my first client was Andrea Arnold. Oh, cool. So how they did those credits is like the perfect example. What did they do? They just blasted all the names on there. In oh. one shot, like... In one like go. They didn't get into like who did what. It wasn't like a roll credit. It was just like, like oh my name, God. name. I'm going to watch and that again. Watching that, you really understood how film is a collaborative exercise because you saw yeah. all those names at once without creating a hierarchy you know it was beautiful neutral Andrea is a visionary she is a genius filmmaker and she is um 
I mean, I love her. She's a great friend and she's, and she's really has ideas of human nature and how, you know, what, and it's great at showing, you know, real people in, in these scenarios that she makes up. I went street casting with her uh, to the Syracuse State Fair, uh, New York State Fair in Syracuse. It was fascinating, fascinating. I mean, I think that's when I started becoming a street photographer. Like she really going to the Syracuse State Fair with her and just really looking at actual real people, not movie stars and what they do. I mean, I'm, I know that's when it started, you know? And like the beauty and the, and the crazy and the, the uh the ridiculous and the sublime you know like you just can look at somebody and if you're really looking at them and just studying them you can really tell a lot by someone's body language and that's what makes a good actor good is that they understand that too but the there's so many levels to you know that's why regular people are kind of sometimes amazing for movies because mm -hmm. i mean if they want to do it it's very hard to be an actor Chloe Zhao talks about that though a little bit in some Nomadland interviews. Oh, she does. Like some people like have it, you know, like the star of the writer, Brady, I think is his name. Um, but uh, anyway, she like saw him and just like as a human, you know, she was like, he's got it. Like he could I mean, carry everyone it, Andrea know? picked. We would watch, I mean, it was a kind of creepy and weird and amazing. Like we would sit there and look at people and then we would go up to them and talk to them and she would ask some questions and I would film them. And everyone that she picked was like amazing. Like there's just, she just knows what she's looking for. You know what I mean? And she started careers for people. Um, yeah, specifically but a lot of people, for like Sasha Lane, right? Like she was just walking yeah, out of she, a gas station parking lot or something like that. Yeah. I'm going to look at those, those, uh, I mean, you know, it's such, it's such currency in Hollywood, the kind of credit that you get. I mean, so totally exactly yeah. so that completely eliminated is yeah, that's amazing. You know, I get it. Yeah. Um, I wish we would have done our credits that way. I know I, we, we talked about it. Yeah. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. It's just a whole nother rabbit hole, but yeah, we struggled with that and building our credits too. We're still back and forth on it. Apparently. Well, um, it's nice that you even told, I didn't even know about it. I'm excited to go look at that. That's, yeah. you know, I mean, that's a, you can only time you can do that is when you're in the in control. You well, know? and like with the billing and stuff with Stacy and myself, like her and I did everything together equally. And then it's like, for other actors when we like needed to do more of like a list of credit situation than we needed to do alphabetically. Right. It like the whole hierarchy is so messed up when it yeah. comes to like assigning um, input on a film. Totally. And value on a film on an individual. Totally. Yeah. And it's different, I think, depending on where you're at, because I think the the motivation for us was making sure that everyone who's trying to come up, you know, and have something quantifiable that they can have that and they can see clearly it's like resume building versus you're already established and you're, you're on this certain tier maybe of filmmaking where, you know, you're no longer going out. People are coming to you asking you, right. like, can you be in my movie or can you do this for my movie? So I think that plays into it, you know, yeah, which is why sure. American honey is great because she got it. She I mean, she, I remember her uh, calling me and telling me about uh, um, Riley Kehoe. Okay, and Riley she was, is just like an indie queen too. I know, but she's so much better in Zola. I mean, she's not bad in American Honey, but I think what Andrea, the performance Andrea had wanted, we got, we got, because it's just a bigger role, really. Mm -hmm. And she's, I mean, I feel like at that point, 
her career was a lot younger. You know, she's done so many films, it seems like in the last like decade-ish of her life. Yeah. Riley has. Yeah. She's grown a lot as an actress. Yeah, I'm a big fan yeah. of her. Um, so yeah, let's get to the elephant in the room. My favorite topic of conversation, TikTok. We are all interested in this because we were interested in this. I don't quite think, and this is for micro budget. For, I, the, another thing that bothers me about the film industry is that I just, or like people getting in, I don't think even, and I, I think creators on TikTok talk about this because everything is so transparent, but I'm not really sure that people realize how much work it takes to do anything. The fact that you guys agreed and decided to cut up your film this way, to put it on TikTok and knowing how much work that was gonna take is really something that you should talk about. Because <laughs> mm. it's insane and it's amazing to me. I mean, it's a lot of work for a movie that you've already cut. <laughs> you know, we're like never giving up on this darn movie. We really we're are. Like, how can we give we a new life again? <laughs> We just, it took all of like pandemic to like think about it, accept right. it. And then we were like, okay, yeah, let's keep going. Like it, well, I think that's another piece is that it like, it never ends even. Or once it's, it's just done. Like, well, yeah. that's, 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 that's exactly right. That's new and exciting. Like it could have ended. You mm -hmm. could have just left it on Amazon Prime yeah. and yet you're, you're interested enough to see how else you can figure out for this film to have a life. And that's what's the beauty of social media. You know, mm -hmm. that's not being afraid. You know, I don't like TikTok. You know, if one more person tells me they don't like TikTok. I mean, a manager told me the other day he's not on Clubhouse or TikTok. And I was like, you represent actors. I love people that say it as like a brag too. Like, yeah. I'm like, well, if you're in the film industry, you should be on all of those things. Like whether you like them or not, you have to understand them. Mm-hmm. And well, and yeah, that's understanding them, then you're missing out where things are going. Totally. Or you're, I guess you're hoping that all your clients are going to be in Marvel movies because those are the only kind of movies that Hollywood is making. Yeah. And that's why this move is exciting because it's rejecting the standard that's, you know, a totally elitist and unrealistic standard. Like, but I think people are. I, I, this is a generalization, but I, I do think that in the industry, when people enter it, they're like, I want to get to that level. You know, I want to get to that break into that room where all of that Marvel money is, or it, that's just not realistic. And, and I think TikTok particularly, at least for the, in this moment in time is sort of a fuck you. <laughs> we're we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And in a way just dismantles all of the powers that be at the top that, make it more difficult for for certain people to get into the room and have a voice. And it shows the power of story, like stripped down without yeah. the like, you know, bells and yeah. whistles. It's just we like, hey, I'm using toilet paper for a beard and sitting in my apartment <laughs> with no costume on. And this video is fucking hilarious. So. Yeah, that was the, the beginning of our conversation was about story and about the script. You know, that is kind of- I mean, the TikTokers that we all respond to are people who understand how to tell a story, for yeah. sure. I mean, totally. that's the thing, like it's, you know, a photograph should tell a story you know, a film should tell a story, a play, you know, like, you know, these things, you want to absorb something. I was talking to one of the officers this morning. He's like, you're going to be really, you're going to hate this movie that I love. And I'm like, tell me. And it was some Nicholas Sparks movie. And I was like, no, they know how to make things for you to have a feeling, you know, and that's important, you know? Yes. Do I think Nicholas Sparks movies are cheesy? Sure. But 
are, are, does everybody want to have a moment where they want to just feel the way those movies make them feel? Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately just because the story is good. Exactly. That really is it. That's what yeah. it all comes down to. It really does. This has been magical, Cara. Talking to you every time is a new wave of inspiration that hits me in different ways. So um, we're so grateful to know you. And I mean, we're putting this on TikTok because of you. You're the one. <laughs> yeah. Like we have you to thank for all of this. So we're just so grateful, grateful for your advice and for your time. Yeah. And like to have you in our life. It's just like seriously such a gift. Yeah, it's such a gift. I, I mean, seriously, it's completely mutual. I think you guys are phenomenal. And again, I just, I really want to reiterate the amount of work that you both do and the amount of passion that you bring to all of these projects and to this project particularly can never be underscored. I mean, you have really, really, I mean, and that's what I really want people to be left with, like how hard it is, but when you love it, you're going to keep doing it because it matters to you. I mean, people will enjoy this in whatever format they watch it in, whether they watch it on Amazon Prime or they watch it on TikTok, because the love of you making this project completely comes through in the project. It really does. And that's why I was drawn to you guys, because I was just like, there's such there's such a, uh, a like you really can feel how much you enjoy working together and creating together and um it really comes across and that's that is hard in a partnership and and it's and to keep that up and doing all the different kinds of things that you do i mean it's really fantastic and that people should watch that and learn from you guys they really should cara definitely started this chapter of just like the men i mean she was very new york about it she was like do this and then we did <laughs> thanks cara yeah that was the impetus for this podcast was us putting this film on TikTok. And over the course of these interviews, it's sort of just become this insight into indie filmmaking, like our specific experience in indie filmmaking that along the way, I sort of forgot that, oh yeah, the whole purpose of this podcast is to talk about us putting our film on TikTok and what that's been like. And at the time of recording all of these interviews, we hadn't done it yet. And, and now it's all out there. You can go watch Just Like the Men. It's not behind a paywall. It's just like the men on TikTok. That's at just like the men. TikTok. TikTok. But I love talking to Kara because she is this force of nature. You know, she's almost an archetype of a film producer. Like how I imagine a film producer is in Hollywood in my mind as a caricature. It's Kara because she gets things done. Yeah, I say this every single time, but it truly is an honor to know her and to be in her network and for her to take time out of her life to talk to two people that she's never met on the opposite coast that she's on and have her support us with enthusiasm and belief in what we're doing and the type of story that we're trying to tell. And to get it, to really like understand what we're trying to achieve. Like she really gets it. We're just forever surprised at all of these incredible connections we're making and again, fostering and nourishing in our lives. Like these aren't just people that we've connected with through our film, they're people that we'll continue to connect with for the rest of our careers. And I just have so much respect for Kara and all of the projects she's worked on and just how transparent she's willing to be with us and with you, our listeners, about her journey in the film industry. I mean, yeah, the woman is a force of nature in the best possible way. I really appreciated her perspective in regards to how films are credited 
and how often we want to celebrate one person as being the hero of the film, as being the creator, as being solely responsible for the film. Um, we talked a little bit about American Honey, and if you've watched American Honey and stuck to the credits, I think anyone would be surprised. You don't have to be in the film industry to be affected by those credits. Um, and if you haven't seen it, at the end, all of the names in American Honey are just blasted on the screen, and that moment right there is what filmmaking is. It takes so many people. It's not one person who's shouldering the burden of this film. It's so many people on so many different levels. It wouldn't happen without the collective group. So I, it's, a, it's really refreshing to talk to someone who's in the industry like Kara is and to acknowledge that and say, yeah, it's messed up that we reduce films to film by whoever and not that that person shouldn't receive accolades and acknowledgement for their work, but it's a worthwhile conversation to have about the collective effort of filmmaking. I also appreciate Kara bringing up the patriarchy in a refreshing way, which is a non like man eater type of way. And just to be super clear with you, our listeners, Stacey and I have had a lot of support from men in our endeavor to produce this film. And though we live in a time where it's very important to focus on women and women's voices, we don't want to overlook the men that have supported us as filmmakers and as individuals. And I appreciate Kara bringing us kind of back down to earth in that regard. So just a like sweet little thank you to all those men out there that have helped us because we're all humans. Like we all want the same thing and we definitely will continue to push for marginalized groups to have equal footing as men do in the industry until that happens. We have to keep pushing for that. But that's not to say that men aren't helpful along the way and aren't wonderful human beings as well. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Go out there and like make a cool movie or watch a cool movie. We will link Kara's IMDb page to the show notes. Um, definitely worthwhile to take a look at all of the projects she's been affiliated with, all of the films she's produced. We talk a lot about Zola. We'll link, we'll put a link in the show notes to Zola. And then we're also going to link our film as well on TikTok. So you can go check it out and see what we did and see what you think and what it's like viewing film in this way. Also editing film in this way was weird because we shot it in the normal full screen 1920 by 1080p dimensions and then had to recut it to fit on a cell phone screen. So even if you make something that you're super happy with and feel like it's finished, don't be afraid to throw it against the wall and see what else could come of it. Because why the hell not? If you work, if you wait, you will find the place where the four-leaf clovers grow, where the four-leaf clovers grow, where the four-leaf clovers grow. I think we should do like maybe one or two more times. Okay, cool.